Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. My name's Dusty Slay. I'm your host, and I'm here with my wife and co-host, Hannah Slay. We're having a good time. All right. We are having a good time. Pumped to be here. I had I started the podcast and then realized that I didn't have a shirt that I liked. And even though, you know, we don't use a lot of this video for anything, I may want to use some of it. And then sometimes I look back and I go... Oh, I look so sloppy that I don't want to share that clip. So I had to run downstairs and get it and run back up. I'm a little winded. Catch your breath. Right now. So, but hey, we don't have a lot of time to catch our breaths around here. Mm. Uh, you know, we put the we put our son to sleep, Daisy in front of the TV. And I don't really like doing that. But we don't really have an option if we want to keep the podcast going. I don't like just putting her in front of the TV. I don't mind her watching TV, but I like to be in there with her because a lot of these cartoons are crap. And I'm like, I'll go, I don't like what they're pushing or I don't like what they're doing here. And I'll change it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Daisy knows that we don't watch Coco Melon. She don't even fight it. She don't ask for it anymore. She knows we don't watch Coco Melon. Yeah. Yeah. Now, sometimes some of my relatives be coming around they let her watch TV, and they may let her watch Coco Melon, and I don't like that. People can't understand how things can be bad. They just don't get it. They don't have any concept of how something could be bad. They go, oh, it's just a kid's show. And it's like, you don't think there are nefarious people out here targeting your children. People don't think that. They don't have any idea that we're all uh targeted all the time you know what i mean absolutely i think that most people highly underestimate the power of advertising of uh, television of anything you see on a screen and how it implicitly influences our thoughts and our behaviors that's why people always reference hitler it's like they think Hitler is the only bad person to have ever lived, and now that he's gone, we're all safe. When, and, and it's like these other people, they may not be as bad as Hitler, but there are bad people out here. There are bad people with bad intentions. And it's like we've seen that over the years. You know, uh, Harvey Weinstein, for example. I mean, we all saw that. Mm. Uh, you, you know, you've seen lots of our heroes kind of go down f because we find out they were doing bad things. And we're always so shocked. Oh, can you believe they were doing that? And it's like it's more shocking now when you find out people aren't doing it. Well, even just sort of the the way that stories are told that can create an unrealistic expectation about how life goes. Like, I know I've thought a lot about how, you know, some of my favorite fairy tales or even novels that I loved growing up, they're telling me that life and love are going to be like this. And, and chick flicks, for example, oh, yeah. you know, Hugh Grant, Renee Zellweger, you know, you're watching these movies as a young person and you're like, I want love like that. But love's not like that. You know, and, and songs do that too. You know, um, I think, I feel like I've said this before on this podcast, but Damien Rice. Now I've always, I, I've had a, I've had a weird relationship with music throughout my life. I, um, you know, just, I just was on a journey with it. I grew up strictly country, little Bon Jovi, some other kids in the trailer park got me on to some poison once in a while, you know, poison the band. Yeah. Also probably poison from a mind. Um, but they, they, they got me into these things, but for the most part, I was straight up country. And then as I started to get older, I started to discover all these things. And by the late nineties, early two thousands, I mean, there's, you know, four decades of music that I really like. Now there's more, but I find once you get into the fifties, it's, there's only a few things I like. It's late 60s and, and beyond, but there's so much. So I just started finding all of these things, and I just went down a real journey. 
But around the mid-2000s, I was into this guy, Damien Rice. Now, it's pretty sappy kind of music, but it had a soul to it. Uh, you know, not the most manly of music, but it had a soul to it. It had some, some, some love about it. Me and my friend, Chris and Jessica, we used to listen to it all the time. And uh, he had a song called I Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, where he's singing it to a woman. And it's a beautiful song. It really is a beautiful song. And when I moved to Nashville, my friend Jessica was living here and she got some tickets to a Damien Rice concert at the Ryman. And I thought, well, that'd be really great. Let's go there. And so we went and it was kind of an embarrassing show because people at the in the audience were like so rude because he's just a one man out there with a guitar and they just kept yelling out the songs they wanted him to sing. And I guess that's what people do at a concert, but it just felt so rude. It's like, just let the man play his songs towards the end of the concert. If he hasn't played your song, maybe, maybe yell it out, but you know, let him play his thing. But it, it was it really embarrassing. Um, for the city, I felt like. I was like, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. But he he talked about that song, I Can't Take My Eyes Off You, and he talked about songwriting, and he goes, you know, I forget exactly what he was saying, but he was being a little jokey, uh, and he, he goes, uh, I wrote this song called Can't Take My Eyes Off You, and people really loved it. He goes, but you know, the truth is, I could take my eyes off her, and I did. <laughs> yes. You know? Yes. So in that moment, we're, we're meeting a real guy, and I, I did all that backstory. Just because, you know. Uh, it's your podcast, honey. Uh, yeah, but Damien Rice is a little, like, I'm not into it now. It's yeah. a bit melodramatic mm -hmm. now where I can't believe how much I liked it. But I went through this real period of time, years, where I was into this really melodramatic music. I, I listened to a lot of Al Green. I feel like some of Al Green's song, he has some very popular stuff, but some other stuff I don't really hear a lot of people listening to, but it's, he has one called Simply Beautiful, one called uh, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, but really great songs, but just so dramatic. Al Green's another guy. I got a song called How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? And it just feels so heartfelt and beautiful. But I bet he banged hundreds of women. It's like, you know, is this guy really meaning what he's singing? Probably not. Right. I mean, he's an artist and everybody can relate to, you know, falling in love and that honeymoon phase. But that's what most love songs are about and chick flicks are about is the meeting and the falling in love. But no one really gets into the, you know, four years into marriage, 25 years into marriage. I mean, there are movies about that, but they usually circle around, dis, you know, divorce, apathy, you know. But let's, you know, it, I just think life is different than art. But art can illuminate life. Yeah. I mean, we watched a movie last night uh, called Beautiful Girls, mm. and uh, I had seen it years ago, probably 15 years ago I saw it, and uh, I thought it was really great. We watched it again last night. I still think it's great, um, but as we were watching it, we saw in the beginning, the beginning clips, it saw that it was the, the Weinsteins, produced by the Weinsteins, Harvey Weinstein and someone else. Uh, and it was just like, ugh. Well, I was getting excited because I've not seen the movie. And yeah. they're rolling the credits at the beginning of the film. And, you know, I'm getting this 90 vibe, 90s vibe. And you're like, ah, oh, Mira Sorvino, nice. Oh, Uma Thurman, amazing. Oh, Rosie O'Donnell. And then all of a sudden produced by Harvey Weinstein. You're like, that takes a darker turn on this cast. It does. Especially for me, because I already knew what it was about. And it had been a long time since I seen it. But... You know, there's this kind of weird. Now, they address it in the movie as being weird. All his friends tell him it's weird. But, you know, basically this, what is he, 29, 29 year old man is yeah. uh, has this uh, like connection with a 13 year old Natalie Portman who lives next door. Um, and, uh, you know, he's just his life seems to be falling apart. And then they have this connection. Now, nothing happens. But it's it's still weird. Now, all his buddies in the movie tell him it's weird. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, but, uh, but in the end, I think the movie's really great. But the happiest guy in this movie, and this is what I like about this movie, is it felt real. Like all the women that were in the movie felt like normal women. They weren't all supermodels. Like the woman that they all said was the super hot girl was uh, Uma Thurman. And I think Uma Thurman is attractive, but I don't think of Uma Thurman as like regular woman super attractive. Does that make sense? I suppose. I think definitely Uma Thurman was a model, though. Yeah, I, yeah, but I just, I don't know. To me, uh, I don't know. She feels like a regular woman attractive to mm-hmm. me. Okay. And, um, uh, but I, that's what I like about the movie. Yeah. Is everybody's pretty normal in it. And the happiest people in the movie, to me, was the, the, the married guy with the family. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did enjoy the movie. I thought it was a, a good movie. A, a few things took me out of it. Um, starting with the Har- Harvey Weinstein producer credit at the beginning. I couldn't quite shake that because I continued to watch it through the lens of this was a movie produced by Harvey Weinstein. Um, and then just other things that I've learned along the way in terms of critical thinking and, and taking in um, content. Well, the, but- the once there was one scene where, you know, a guy is he's sleeping with uh, a married woman And then he says to her, why are you sleeping with me? And she says, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then Hannah says, that's bad writing. But what I thought in that moment, see, I don't think in terms, when I'm watching a movie, I don't think in terms of this writing is bad. I just, I try to just stay with the characters. So what I thought in that moment was she knows the answer. But she doesn't want to say it. She dated this guy in high school. So chances are she knows. She's like, well, I want you're the one that I want to be with. But my husband, who I'm married to now, is way more successful than you. You're a guy that runs a snowplow. And whatever my husband does has me in this giant house. And so I married him. But deep down, I wish I had, had been with you. So that's why she's like, I don't know. Because she can't say all that. So she says, I don't know. Um, Have you heard of something called the male gaze? Uh, No. Gaze as in G-A-Z-Y? Yeah, yeah. I didn't think you mean (laughs) G-A-Y-S, the male gaze. I have heard of the male gaze. You've heard of both? Yeah. Well, the male gaze is uh, a lens, uh, I suppose a feminist lens with which you – use critical thinking to um, look at movies, books, articles, uh, culture. And that movie that we watched last night, while I enjoyed it, was made by men for men. And that's okay. I mean, because there can be movies like that. But, you know, the movie's called Beautiful Girls. And um, the characters, I believe... You know, they did, they made them two dimensional, which is better than one dimensional, but I don't feel like any of the women in that movie really uh, were developed in a sense that it was like sort of men's ideas about these women. Well, they all existed for the purpose of men using them in some capacity. Yeah. Well, the movie was about the men. Yeah. It was the, it was the guy going home for his class reunion Mm -hmm. and, you know, and it's him and his buddies and then their wives and girlfriends. Yeah. So I do think it was a guy, uh, a guy, you know, a, a man's movie. Right. It was a man's movie, but I mean, you know, a lot of times these movies, especially back in the day, were that, you know, because that sure. I think women could enjoy it. And I'm sure I would have enjoyed that movie a lot more 15 years ago. But, you know, it's, 15 years ago was very powerful to me. I was like, whoa, I, you yeah. know, I just was like, wow, this is a good movie. Yeah. Uh, now I'm a you know I'm a little more jaded and I've seen more things and this and that and uh, I'm not as easily moved by music and uh, movies as I used to be. Mm. I had a you know just a different I don't know lens at some point. I used to listen to music and whatever those lyrics said, I thought mm, this guy gets it. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, this guy's probably an alcoholic, yeah. drug addict who uh, has a knack for uh, writing. But probably doesn't know a lot. Yeah. And I mean, is that okay? It is okay. Yeah. 
I think it's okay too, but it is also good to, you know, not romanticize any one artist or moment in time because things just keep changing. Yeah. Not that there are not some geniuses out there. That's for sure. But, uh, mm-hmm. like but, Dusty Slay. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Netflix special right mm-hmm. now called working man. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, the, um, uh, but I like the movie and I just think, but I guess my, my point is, uh, even I thought those movie that movie did a good job of, uh, painting some decently real relationships. Yeah, I did. I thought so too. I, I do think like it captured, um, you know, the male experience of kind of like you're growing up, you're not old yet, but you're not really young anymore. And you're trying to figure out if you want to settle down. Um, and that's good. That's an important uh, perspective to share. Yeah. And the relationship between him and the little girl was creepy. Yeah. But what (laughs) I like about the movie is that when he would share this with his friends, they were like, yeah, this is creepy. Right. No one was like into it, you know, and even he wasn't into it. He just was in a desperate place in his life is what it felt like, where he was just like he needed someone uh, that he could relate to. And I just felt like in that moment, he he was like, this 13-year-old girl was the only person that gets me. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just kept thinking Harvey Weinstein produced this movie. Well, that's that's that hurts the movie. It does. That's for sure. It, does. it definitely hurts the movie. Yep. So that was really good. We enjoyed that. We also watched <laughs> another classic favorite of mine. Uh over the over the week, this was a movie that Hannah go. I, she didn't want anything too serious, but I don't think she wanted a full on comedy. I believe I said, "Let's watch a funny movie," and then you're like, "Okay, but how about a cheesy karate movie from 1991?" A movie called Only the Strong. I think most men my age know this movie. If they don't remember the title, they will know this. In the song, they go, banana way, banana way, banana, banana way. And if, if that doesn't, if, if you're a man listening to this and you heard that and you don't know the movie, I recommend going and watching it. Only the strong. It's like uh, it's like a movie like The Substitute with Tom Berenger or Dangerous Minds with Michelle Pfeiffer, where they go into a school. The school is real bad. And they they reach some students mm-hmm. and they turn some stuff around. But this happens to be uh, a martial art technique called capoeira or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and if you're a Brazilian jiu jitsu. Yeah. If you're a gay man or a straight woman, you also enjoy the uh, topless men. That, yeah. That are just throughout this movie. A lot of ripped dudes. In yeah. It. A lot of ripped dudes. It yeah. opens and closes on ripped dudes. Yeah. I mean, a lot of ripped dudes yeah. of all races. Yeah. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they got ev- this all representation in this of ripped dudes. Yeah. It's in America. It. And even the, the, the hot woman of the movie is like, She's okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, it is. <laughs> it this is a, movie was for the male gaze. <laughs> yeah. G-A-Y-S. <laughs> and Dusty. <laughs> well, I'm into it. Banana way. I mean, I like the story of it. I, I like a uh, kind of high school redemption story. Mm. I'm a big fan of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Blind Side. Um, I think I, I love a high school redemption story. Dangerous Minds. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Uh, the Substitute with Tom Berenger was really. I don't good think too. I saw that film. Yeah, that was a good one. Mm. I mean, these movies are great. There's more. Yeah. Oh, oh. One of my all-time favorites is uh, Lean on Me with mm-hmm. Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. If you've not seen that, to me. It's like one of Mark Morgan Freeman's best roles. I mean, I feel like Morgan Freeman's so set. Now, obviously, he's a great actor, but he's so settled into this like real chilled out wise man character. That's what he just became. He was in Robin Hood with with uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner. He's in. Uh, uh, Shawshank Redemption. He's in, um, I don't know, endless movies, but uh, the bucket list. Oh, oh, well, I don't know about the bucket list, <laughs> That's but all I could think of uh, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, yeah, um, but so many great movies. It's ridiculous that I can't think of more. The Batman series with um, Christian Bale. 
But he just settled into this, like, I'm super chill and I'm just going to use my voice. But in uh, Lean on Me, I mean, he is animated, he is wild, he's yelling, and he's whipping people into shape. And I love seeing it. Yeah. A good coming-of-age story. I think your your kind of um, story is a bit of a coming-of-age story. Yeah, I, you know, I, well, I, I think because in this country, probably the world, but in this country, what a lot of people suffer from is hopelessness. They have no hope. They're, they're in, even in my own family, I see it, where they're just like, this is who I am. This is the circumstance I was born into. It will never get better than this for me. No matter. And I think that a lot of this hopelessness is being pushed on people because it's just like, they're like, I'll never be any better. No matter what I do, things will never get better. This is just who I am. This is my, this is my plot in life. And I think that's sad because in these movies, what happens is somebody comes along and gives them that hope. Right. You know, um, and I think, you know, I think Jesus can be that hope for everyone. But I think sometimes people need to see it in a person here on earth. Well, because a good story and the way stories work is you have a lead character, a protagonist, and they have a goal, and from the beginning of the movie to the end, they must change. The yes. whole story is predicated on this character changing, hopefully for the good, you know, and usually for the good if it's the protagonist and you want a happy ending. So that's why movies and books can be so enticing because you see this change and it registers something inside of you. But yes, so many people in life... Um, don't have that kind of initiating moment w that changes them. But we all remember the times when we can look back and say, I changed from this to this. Yeah. And I mean, potentially you're, you're always changing, you know, and I saw an interview with Cat Williams. This is not the Shannon Sharp interview. This was a different, this was a Larry King interview I saw with uh, Cat Williams years and years ago. And it said, uh, he goes, what's the worst advice you ever got? And Cat Williams said, uh, never change. Mm. And that's what people tell you. People love to say that. Oh, you never change. Or they'll go, you've changed. And it's like, uh, for sure, I've changed uh, from, you know, uh, leaving Opelika when I was 21 years old. But I, yeah, you, you need to change. You know, you know, you know, you know, you need, hopefully that change is positive, but you need to change. You need to grow and, and change and become, uh, learn things. That's what we all need to do. But it's like, you know, even, uh, like I, I saw something one time where it was like, you know, it, 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 say you're at 20 years old, you're like, oh, I wish I would have learned the guitar. Uh, you know, but if you started at 20, by the time you're 30, you will, you know, it's like if it takes 10 years to really learn something, by the time you're 30, you're like, oh, I could have learned. But you're at 30, you're like, oh, I wish I would have learned guitar, you know. And then if you start now by 40, you'll really know how to play. But at 40, you're like, I wish I would have learned guitar. You know, those sort of things where it's like it's not too late to start learning something. It's not too late to start doing something. Now, when we talk about comedy, as we've talked about before, if you have a family and children and you want to become a stand-up comic, um, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to do, if not impossible to become a full-time working stand-up comic, but without sacrificing your family. But is it too late to learn to do comedy? Absolutely not, you know? What do you think um, stops people from taking that first step and change? Um, well, our daughter has yelled for us. I assume what's happened is uh, she's uh, tired of the program she was watching and she is asking us to find her something else. So that's what Hannah's going to do. I've, you know, and at this point, I've really forgotten what Hannah's question was. So I'll try to let Hannah get back uh, to... Tell me that question. Um, but while we're waiting on Hannah to come back, I hate to just interrupt this line that we got going on here, but uh, I meant to talk about 
being in Huntsville last week. Uh, two weeks ago, I was in Huntsville at Stand Up Live. And uh, I never, I've never sold out a show in Huntsville. Hannah's back, but I'll just finish this. Remember that question you asked me. Okay. Uh, but I've never sold out a show in Huntsville. And this was the first full weekend I did since Netflix came out. And I sold out three of the five shows in Huntsville. And it was really great. I love that club. And also, here's something interesting. I think this was the maybe seven-year anniversary, maybe 10-year anniversary. I don't remember exactly what they said. Seven years seemed like it would be a weird. But anyway, it was the anniversary of the club opening. And me and you uh, did the soft opening. Mm -hmm. Scott Eason, who was hosting for me that weekend, uh, hosted the soft opening. You featured, I headlined uh, that show. I remember that. And that was that was the anniversary of that. I, ten years feels like it would be too. Not ten years. Not it's got to be like years. five maybe. No, more than five, but I was thinking seven, eight years. Probably was 2015, maybe the nine-year anniversary. Maybe. maybe 16, eight years. I mean, I've only been living here since 2016, which would be seven years ago. Yeah, I mean, it, it was probably around that time, mm -hmm. but very exciting. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but anyway, so what was the question you asked me? What do you think stops people from changing, from taking the steps they need to do to change? Well, a lot of things, but I think hopelessness is is that thing. If if you don't have hope, then you, you go, well, why would I do this? It doesn't matter. Why would I try to learn this? I'm not going to be able to do anything with it. Why would I? I remember being told about drawing and art, that there's no money in art, no point in learning that. And I'm not going to say who told me that, but it was someone very close to me in my life who had authority over me. That it's just like uh, maybe decent advice is to say, you know, learn art, but also let's find a way for you to learn some skills that may have some monetary value because maybe you're not going to be able to make money drawing. But there's lots of ways to make money in art, lots and lots and lots of ways. And I, and I, uh, a lot of people don't call stand-up comedy art, but I definitely do. And I uh, support my family with art now. Um, but, um, uh, I think a lot of it is hopelessness. Some of it is laziness. Uh, some of it, you know, I think, I think weed can get in the way for people. Um, I think that is my biggest criticism of weed that, that I would have. Now, later in life, uh, I found ways to make weed work for me. If I wanted to do yard work or I wanted to do some creative project at home, I'd do a little weed and I could really zone into it. I could really get into it. Uh, but as a kid, um, you know, like my late teens, weed was a real motivation killer for me. And I think it can be for other people too, where it's like, you know, you, you, you get bored and you're like, well, let me do something. Uh, but you do a little weed and suddenly you're like, well, I'm not bored now because I'm high. And then you're like, oh, this movie's really good. And you become a consumer as op opposed to a producer. Oh, I love that. A consumer mm -hmm. instead of a producer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think the phone has done to so many of us. And the yes. phone does it to me. Yes. I'm still a creator. I'm creating lots of things. But if I didn't have my phone to sit around and look at, how much more might I create? You know, I have to be so intentional with the way I go on social media, because if I don't, then I'm just on it. Yeah. And it's just who knows what ideas I'm not tuned into because I'm just watching absolute hubris online. Yeah. yeah. I mean, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, to some degree, uh, the phone just plays into a little bit of laziness that I've always had. Uh, I don't consider myself a lazy person, but I've always kind of had a little bit of a laziness where actually in high school, a lot of people thought I smoked weed before I actually did mm -hmm. uh, because I just had this look about me and I just kind of had a slacker attitude. I never was a homework guy. So when I started getting into weed, it did not really affect my life in that kind of way because I already was kind of that kind of slacker mentality mm -hmm. where I didn't like homework and I was smart enough 
to get by without it. I, I, I'm not saying I was a genius. I wasn't acing my classes, but I was smart enough to pass them uh, with with B's and C's without having to do any of the work. But also, from what I understand, you didn't really have people around you that were p- placing a high value on getting your homework done. No. Uh, I mean, my, my, my parents would press me enough on it to get me to do what I had to do. Um, you know, they weren't like absent, completely absent. But yeah, I mean, not a lot of, there wasn't a real push on why education was important, you know. I would say you still retain that belief today. Well, when it comes to a lot of this BS, for sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the stuff that they're they're really teaching us in school is such BS where it's like there are practical things out here that are far more important. And then you can, you know, you can learn other things along the way. I've learned so many things uh uh you know, just later in life. I mean, people make fun of YouTube all the time. YouTube of, oh, you learned that off YouTube. And it's like, well, there are people really teaching things on YouTube. Just uh, YouTube is just a platform or just a medium. It's like people, if someone reads a book, they go, oh, you've really done something. You've really read a book. Uh, Whereas if somebody watches a YouTube video, they're like, oh, you're just learning crap. And it's like, well, they both can be crap. A book can be crap and a video can be crap, but they both can be educational too. I mean, anybody can really write a book. It doesn't, it's like, oh, we got to get it published. And it's like, I know someone the other day that told me that they were, they would sell books, a comedian that I, that I know, he told me he would sell books on the road. And he said, he, he a publisher he went to was like, well, no, we're worried that you're not going to sell enough of these. And he's like, He's like, I'm going to buy them. I am the moment we print this, I'm going to buy, you know, a thousand of these because I'm going to take them on the road and sell them at my shows. And he's like, and he would sell them at his shows, but he's like, I'm going to buy them from you. So all that publisher needs is a guarantee somebody's going to buy them. I also think that YouTube provides um, knowledge and how to do things that, our standard education system in the West and America and Canada doesn't provide like, you know, you can look up things on YouTube, like how to dress well or how to um, be likable, how to, you know, manage and budget your finances well. And you can really kind of go to town on things like that, which are very important things to know how to do and be as an adult. But Unless you're taught those things by your parents, there's no real classes like that anymore in school. So we're sure we're taught, I don't know, history, World War II and math and and things like this. But in terms of like giving you the tools you need to uh, maneuver yourself in the world, things that that unless you seek, you're not going to learn. It's found online. It can be really found online, how to better yourself in small, how to polish yourself. Yeah. And I mean, this is, you know, and I'm not just trying to criticize my parents' generation, but I do think there was a real reverence for like grandparents. And I don't think there's that same reverence for grandparents now. And I think a lot of that is because of the internet, right? We we can turn to the internet for recipes. We can turn f- to the internet for all of these things. But I also think that, you know, our, our, our parents these days aren't necessarily, um, I don't know, they don't necessarily have those things to share. They're not really trying to share those things. Now, my mom uh, loves to sew and she can share that. She's really good at it. And I think you can watch videos on how to learn to sew online, but there is nothing like a real teacher. If somebody's willing to actually teach, it's really great. And my mom knows a lot of things that she can share, but you know what? My mom got a lot of her info off YouTube. Yeah, I mean, this generation, or let's say the last hundred years, is not characterized by honor. You know, we don't, we're not, we're not taught to try to be an honorable person. You know, in the 17 and 1800s, they used to have, what's it called, gunfights? 
when when two people battle yeah with guns yeah that's how they used it's to probably settle another name but yeah yeah that's how they used to settle disputes in right. america a duel a duel yeah. a duel that's how they used to settle disputes because if you challenged a man's honor that was the most disrespectful crazy absurd how dare you thing you could ever do and you would you would you would try to kill each other over it yeah. You know, and now yeah. it's like that happens on the regular in the comment section. Oh, we're yeah. We're constantly dishonoring people. And, 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 you know, we're, we're just living like kind of like sloppy out here, you know? It's very sloppy out here. And that's what I always say about the airport and stuff like that. And just out in public, how people dress. It's like, and people act like that has something to do with money. Only name brands, you know, clothes can be fancier than other clothes, but everybody can look good. Goodwill is filled with khakis and dress shirts. Now, if you're a very large person, height, width, regardless, I'm, it's harder because those things are not available uh, at Goodwill. I, I got friends. I got friends that are real tall, real big guys, and they're like, Goodwill got no, has got nothing for me. So I get that. But for the average size people out here, there's no reason to ever look sloppy. But people look so sloppy out here all the time. I'm guilty. And I'm not saying I'm some, you know, clean cut uh, person, but I do always try to look clean and I try to look look good. I don't go out in sweatpants, you know, and not that sweatpants can't look good. There are some good looking sweatpants these days, but I just, I agree that just people do look sloppy. And I think that that would change a lot uh, for our society if everybody just you know, cared about how they looked when they went out. Right. I mean, if they cared about how they looked when they go out, half as much as how they look when they post pictures of themselves online. I mean, people look better <laughs> online that is true. than when you run into them at the grocery store. That is true. And people always talk about, I just want to be comfortable. And I'm like, well, my jeans are not what I want to lounge around the house in. But they're not so uncomfortable. And why are you lying around so much that you need to be comfortable all the time? I yeah. mean, well, that's another thing. Shouldn't you be wearing jeans most days? Like, why are you just on the couch always? That is another thing. I get thing. coming home from a long day's work and slipping into some sweats, but you're going to, you're, you're waking up at 9 a.m. and putting on track pants. But it's so much too about cooking, cooking food, right? It's like people come home from a long day's work. And they want to, you know, lounge around in front of the TV so there's no meal being cooked. So we settle for quick meals, mm -hmm. which is, you know, doing a disservice or dishonor to our bodies. And I get it because I talk to lots of women and I'm in the minority. You know, I am a stay-at-home mom. I don't have a job. Um, so I do have, of course, plenty of time to cook. And one might argue I should be using that time to cook. And I enjoy cooking. So it's all a pleasure to me. And I understand women that are getting up at seven and coming home at five. And if they have kids, you know, you don't have the time. You might not even have the ingredients you need every night or, or most nights to make a good meal. I get totally. that. And totally. then that is the struggle. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. If, if we're just in that situation, then that's one thing. But uh, a lot of times I do think, you know, there's a lot of TV shows being binge watched. Um, you know, I know that uh, my Netflix uh, special, uh, Working Man, was on, uh, no, it was in the top 10 for a little while, for about a week. And then I'm looking at some of the other shows in there, and the TV show Young Sheldon was also on that list. And I'm just like, man, people are watching a lot of young Sheldon out here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. So it's just a lot of, you know, I appreciate the fact that people watch Netflix because I want them to watch my special. But it's like, you know, you see young Sheldon in the top 10. It's like, man, people are really watching a lot of that show. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of uh, wasted time out here. And I'm not, I mean, I listen, I, wa I waste so much time. So I'm not saying anything to anybody. I mean, I'm if anything, I'm saying we're all in this together. I mean, I'm doing this too. But it's just like figuring out how we break this cycle to get more creative, to get more productive. 
And, um, you know, I, I don't even know how we got here from where we were at. Well, I think you need to be kind of self-aware because you said you're, there's like a natural predisposition for you to be lazy. There's like a small part of you that will and yeah, wants I mean, to be lazy. That's exactly what I'm saying. And so there's got to be people that are just like you or yeah. even lazier than you. Well, that's exactly what I'm saying. I, we're right. all in this together. Right. So if you know that you don't need help to be lazy, then you have to put up... Um, boundaries for yourself to say, okay, I want to be more productive in my life. So I need to cut down my streaming this much. I only let myself watch this night of the week for this amount of time. Like, because or, otherwise you're just giving yourself too many, too many opportunities to fall into things that aren't going to help you. Or, um, this is what works for me. Now the winter time is a little harder for me, but I, over the last few years, even back when we lived in the rat house, I would get into this sort of thing where I would go outside and I would do stuff. I liked, when we lived at the rat house, I wasn't really planning things, but there was some spot behind that shed where it was just so overgrown. And I really got into going out there and just clearing that out. And I made this really nice cleared out area and I got into that. And that's what helps me stay off my phone is if I can get outside and do some, when I'm out at the land or I'm out in our backyard and I'm planting things, digging things, I could care less about my phone and what's going on on my phone. But when, when, um, when you develop habits, yeah, like when you I'm wake just up sit, in the morning well, when and you're I'm just used to looking at your phone the house, and my habit, the problem is, is when I'm on the road, I wake up in the morning, I'm just in a hotel. I don't know what to do. I don't know. How, so I, I waste time and I've developed that habit and I even bring that habit home where I get up in the morning, I have my coffee, you know, I'm spending time with my kids, but you know, I'm on my phone, I'm checking stuff, I'm doing things, you know. It's hard for you because, you know, you, you could argue your business is online. Some right. of it, you know, your clips, your social media, how many different platforms you're juggling, fans communicating with you, emails from, you know, Lord knows who's emailing you, people hiring you, all kinds of stuff that you're managing with your phone. And I'm not immune. And, and it's like, for the most part, I've gotten so used to posting clips that I don't really think that much about it. I don't really get that into it. But with the Netflix coming out, it's very exciting. And it's really sucked me in in a way because I'm like, well, I want to see my, my social media numbers are going up. It's exciting. I had a video on Facebook get 12 million views. I've never had that. Never even close to that. I think I've gotten 3 million views on a video before, but never even close to 12 million. And my Facebook numbers were just going up, up, up. And it's exciting. Yeah, Who I mean, doesn't want that dopamine rush? Listen, I think everybody relates. I relate to that. I really only have Instagram, but you know, I enjoy making reels. And then sometimes at night, I'll just be thinking of different Instagram ideas and I'll be thinking, look at me looking at thinking about all these Instagram ideas. I should be thinking about my children. You know, I got to potty train my toddler. You know, when am I going to teach her to read? It's like, I, I really have to catch myself. Like, I need to keep my mind straight on my kids, not on dang likes. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, you know, but that's why I think that there are um, fun things to do that, you know, it's like uh, being able to get outside with the kids and do stuff. It, 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 it is exciting for the kids. Like me and my daughter, we go to the trampoline park. Uh, we like to jump and we go to the play park and we go outside and when we're at the land, we get out there, I get her out there with me and we dig holes and, and plant trees. And uh, just the other day, we planted a bunch of stuff in the backyard and she really liked doing that. And she likes the leaves. When I rake the leaves, she'll jump into the pile and then I cover her up with the leaves. And then I go, where's Daisy? And then she comes flying out of there. And that's fun. So getting outside and doing things with the kids, all of those things, it teaches them things. Uh, I think there's great ways for kids to learn things without just looking at a at a book. And we read to Daisy so much. Um, and I think... Um, uh, I don't know that she's learning anything about reading, but she does know her ABCs and she can count to 20. Yeah. No, I, it's just, it's just so easy to get caught up 
yeah. in anything. Yeah. Weed, alcohol, um, SEX, um, social media, um, trashy reality TV is a big one for me, you know? And I yeah. don't think you ever, you don't, you don't just like have moderation and then you're good to go. It's like moderation is a continual process of finding in your life every single day, moderation. Well, it's a real uphill battle. That's what I think, you know, with the Bible, um, you know, and people, I really, I get pushback anytime I talk about commandments and stuff like that. And, uh, uh, either, you know, I, I, I get them either way. I got a con- uh, email from my, from my friend who, uh, about my comments about the Bible last week, uh, about almost like I'm too under explaining it. So if I go too heavy with, Hey, let's follow some commandments. Or if I go too light, um, there's no, there's no spot, but I think that's what I think the commandments are is this guide for us to keep us in in check. We know where to, you know, we know which way to go and we know what to do because we're being kept in check. And I think Jesus would always talk about fasting, that we should fast and pray. And I think fasting keeps us in moderation of how we eat. Mm-hmm. Fasting helps us break um, our, our, our sugar addictions, our carb addictions, the uh, if you do Passover and then the week after Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, I mean, imagine if every year, if everyone, at least all Christians, took a a week off of bread, uh, it would help you break different food addictions that you have. And a fasting, uh, I, you know, this uh, church group I used to be involved in, they were really close with some uh, a church in Romania, and they would go to Romania every year, and they said that preacher of that church in Romania fasted every week. Once a week, he fasted. And it's like, just imagine what that would do. I mean, it's like, uh, there's a whole craze of intermittent fasting, where people are like, can you believe that fasting has these health benefits? And it's like, well, yeah, Jesus has been telling you to do that for a long time. I mean, um, what if, and God has commanded us to at least do one fast day a year. Um, but it's like, what if God's right about all these things? What if, what if saying don't mix linen and wool clothing together, uh, is actually good for our bodies? What if not eating pork is actually good for our bodies? What if, we left all the lobster and oysters and scallops and shrimp in the oceans. What, how clean might the oceans be if we didn't take all those things out of there, out of there? What if all, you know, and it teaches us, you know, moderation to, uh, to follow the Bible Mm -hmm. in that sense, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that's what I think. And I think it's just a, it's a nice guide. Sure. There's more to the Bible than just being a guide, but I think it is a nice guide Mm -hmm. for us. Right. You know, right. Because you don't just get stoned if you have a piece of bacon or if you don't, if you spend some money on the Sabbath, there's grace. Right. And that is the salvation of Jesus. That is the good news is that you are forgiven. But if there are no rules that you need to follow, then why do you need grace? Right. You know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. All right. Well. That was great. I really liked how we got into that. We wrote some notes down and then we got into this uh, thing about, I don't even remember what we were talking about. The male gaze. The male gaze, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, I did want to talk about this I because, you know, I've been talking about this video for years and years. I mean, I found this video. I remember this day and uh, it was the day I met Gene Hackman. Uh, I remember this day, and I was a very little kid, probably five years old. Uh, I remember when the movie Mississippi Burning was filmed in at least all the downtown scenes were filmed in my second hometown of Lafette, Alabama. Now, I, I grew up in Opelika, but my parents were divorced, and my dad lived right outside of Lafette in a small community called Pennon. That's P-E-N-T-O-N, pronounced Pennon. And then Lafette, which is L-A-F-A-Y-E-T-T-E, spelled like Lafayette. The French general. Yes, is pronounced Lafette. Mm. Um, and 
the downtown has changed since then, but it used to be a square with the courthouse in the middle and the buildings all around it. Now they kind of took the square away. They added a weird addition, which I wish they didn't do because I thought the square was really nice and really cool, but I'm not a city planner. Uh, but either way, uh, this movie was filmed down there, and I remember it as a kid. I remember going down there. My dad had a VHS camcorder, and we went down there, and they had all these old cars from like the 50s and 60s down there. People were bringing them in from all around. My stepmom had a Buick that was a real old Buick that I guess they were trying to get them to use, but they didn't use it. They had old police cars, and I remember being down there, my dad filming a guy and being like, that's Gene Hackman's stunt double, and he walked by, and there was uh, William Defoe, Willem Defoe was in the movie, I think we have a little shot of him on camera, Francis, Mac Francis McDormand was in the movie, uh, and it was just a big deal, you know, I mean, Hollywood come to small town Lafette, so you know, I remember my dad filming a lady and I think this lady was like, I'm trying to I'm trying to get a picture of Gene Hackman, you know, and and there was like some video of my uh, aunts, uh, Aunt Kat and Aunt Becky, and they were talking about wanting to see Gene Hackman. Everybody wanted to see Gene Hackman. Uh, and this would have been Gene Hackman had already done at least one Superman movie where he was, you know, Lex Luthor. And in that movie, they made him kind of a rich playboy. I never thought of uh, Gene Hackman that way. But you're a big Gene Hackman fan, too. Well, yeah. I mean, he's an amazing actor. And I just wanted to just read off just a short list of movies that I really like Gene Hackman in. Now, The French Connection was really good. We watched that movie years ago. That's his movie he won an, he won an Oscar for. Uh, and I think it came out in the 70s. Um, but that one was really good. Uh, Superman obviously is great. I just watched all of those movies when I got sick a while back, but Hoosiers, mm. me and you just watched really great movie. I think it's my friend Brian Bates, uh, favorite movie. It's is, one of my favorite movies. Hoosiers is really good. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, then, you know, the great thing about Gene Hackman to me is that he has all these really great historical, you know, old movies. I mean, not historical movies, but old movies when you think about Hoosier, Superman, French Connection. But then in the ultra hipster Wes Anderson film, uh, Royal Tenenbaums, he's the main guy. That's just so exciting. And then for him to be able to do all those roles and then do uh, like in, in, in Mississippi Burning, he's a real kind of hard ass uh, FBI guy. And he's really come in to Mississippi to clean up this racism that happens in this city. And he's a real hard ass in it. But then you watch him in the movie Get Shorty with John Travolta, and he's playing a really weak, failed movie producer. And he gets beat up real bad in the movie. But then, turn it around, he's in the movie Unforgiven with Morgan Freeman and Clint Eastwood, where he's the cop in the city. And he, again, plays a real hard ass where he beats this guy up real bad in the streets. He's running this town with an iron fist. And then I just watched him recently in a movie with Will Smith called Get, uh, called uh, Enemy of the State, which was incredible. Mm. And Gene Hackman is just ultimate actor. So on this day, me and my dad and my two stepbrothers, we go into this building where Gene Hackman is probably filming a scene. When you look in there on the video, it kind of looks like, and maybe it's not, but it kind of looks like he's in a barber shop. Now, if you're familiar with the barbershop scene of Mississippi Burning, he has walked in on a guy getting his uh, face shaved with a straight razor, and he kind of takes over for the barber and starts really working the guy over, cutting the guy a little bit with the straight razor while he's trying to ask him some questions. It's a very intense scene. So I like to think that this scene's going on and my dad opens the door and goes, Mr. Hackman. <laughs> now, now, kudos to my dad for just the balls to do this. 
He goes, Mr. Hackman, can I get you with my boys? And then he goes, yeah. And then me, my dad proceeds to go inside and he goes, no, nah, I'll come out there. And my dad, somebody commented on this video and said that, you know, it's very unselfish of your dad to just want to get you and, and your brothers on video and not himself. And I thought about that, but I also thought, who was going to hold the camera? But as my dad had to hold the camera. Um, but, you know, it's me and my stepbrother standing there and we go, he goes, uh, Gene Hackman comes out. My dad kind of goes, Gene Hackman. You know, my brother-in-law always made fun of that. Like he says, Gene Hackman, like Gene Hackman's supposed to do a little dance for us. And, uh, but I guess during that time, I mean, these video cameras were not unheard of, but they weren't everywhere. So probably most people were just snapping a pic with Gene Hackman. But this is a video camera. And my dad goes, Gene Hackman. And I guess he just leaves it up to Gene to to take the floor here. And so he goes, you boys ball play? He kind of rubs his brow like, oh, jeez. He goes, you boys ball players? And uh, both my stepbrothers go, ah. Uh, yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And we all shake his hand. And then I go, I'm not. You hear real high pitched. I'm not. And then he kind of gives me an eyebrow raise like, oh, <laughs> and then I, I, you can hear that I'm about to say some more things to him because that's what I do is over explain. I was probably about to get into, well, I, I, you know, I wanted to play a little t-ball, but I wasn't very good at it. And then he goes, all right. And then he walks off. Got to get back to that razor. Scene. Yeah. Got to get back to that. But I always just thought that was such a fun uh, video and I was so happy. But, you know, Gene Hagman is just a little too old to be active on social media. And frankly, no one cares about that video as much as I do. Yeah, I care. And it's upsetting to me. It's excellent that you met Gene Hackman. I know. Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman is a great actor, but I'm thinking about why he's a great actor. And this is why. Because he has a self-possessed charm that is understated, but absolutely intoxicating on screen. You know, someone like George Clooney or Brad Pitt, they're very aware of their charm. Right. And they also are good looking. So it, it, you know, they're just wielding out here. But Gene Hackman, not a classically handsome man, but when on screen, he's so charming. He's very, yes, he's very contained and understated, but that's what we like. Yeah, I agree. And he has a really great voice Mm -hmm. too. So the way he talks, uh, it's really nice to hear him talk. There are so many great movies. I could just go through Gene Hackman movies and talk, but um, he was in some Tom Cruise movie we watched uh, a while back uh, where he's a lawyer in Memphis. Oh, The Firm? The Firm. Yeah, you remember that? Oh, I loved that movie. Yeah, that was so great. I mean, anytime Gene Hackman's in something, yeah. I'm I'm into it. Yes, absolutely. Just such a, just a stalwart excellence. Yeah, I agree. Hey, and so that's pretty cool that you met Gene Hackman. Thank you. It's pretty cool. Thank you. It yeah. is pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of impressed by you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Now that's the support I need. Yeah. And so what I'd like to do is make a video using a clip from this podcast and the Gene. I've never really done a good video of it. You know, I've shared the video many times, but now I have the ability to kind of podcast around it and put some clips in there. Yeah. So I'll figure out how to make that happen. Maybe the internet and, you know, you weren't ready to tell the story quite right. And now is the time. You know, the first video, you're right. The first video I ever made about it, I was using uh, iMovie and uh, I had... uh, I was playing a uh, a Neil Young song called uh, Old Country Waltz, uh, which is a great song. And then I, I, I just was uh, filming. I was using film from the home video that my dad made of Gene Hackman, but that's a longer tape. And on that same day or the day before, my dad was out in the field filming a bunch of his cows. He was just filming cows, just cow after cow on film. Mm. And so I 
I put in there, I showing a bunch of these cows and then I was giving some commentary on it through text. Mm -hmm. And then right towards the end, I said, all these cows are dead now. Yeah. And I thought that was such a great joke. Right. Because they are all dead. Yeah. Those cows, this was in the 80s. Mm. Cows don't live that long. No. They're all dead. Mm -mm. And I thought that was so funny. Yeah. Sometimes jokes are just for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I, I'm glad we did that. I've been wanting to talk about um, this Gene Hackman thing for a long time. Yeah. Oh, all right. Here's a couple of things. My uh, um, The uh, Zeducation podcast, Tyler Zed on YouTube that I've talked about here before. I'm a big fan of his YouTube channel. His YouTube channel has given us a lot uh, of laughs over the years and a lot of entertainment. It's just basically, and I've already said before, but basically he's just showing other people's memes and talking about it. And I love memes. Mm -hmm. I just love them. So I'm very entertained by his show. And he started following me on Instagram. And just this past Sunday, he gave me a nice shout out for my special on Netflix. So I'm very appreciative to him. And he has a book for sale called The Trailer Park Parable, which I've not read. Uh, but I am going to order it. And uh, I think he's very funny. And so, uh, you know, I'm just giving a shout out for him, too, and his book, Trailer Park Parable, that's available now on Amazon. Yeah, he's got a heck of an operation going there at Zeducation. Because before I had children and before the pandemic, I used to get into YouTube with Dusty. Dusty will go down some weird rabbit holes on YouTube. And I used to get into those things. But... I've changed, I guess you could say, and I no longer in a negative way. <laughs> I only can handle light entertainment. I don't like these doomsday things. I don't like scary. Doomsday is my favorite. Yeah, I don't like scary videos anymore. I don't like scary movies anymore. I don't like anything that can give me anxiety, I guess you can say. I like to think the world's going to end tomorrow and I need to stock up on some stuff. Yeah, and you want to tell me about it. And I'm like, I don't want to nah, know. I don't tell you anymore. You know I don't tell yeah, you Yeah, and I can't handle it. So really, one of the only things Dusty and I can now watch together in YouTube is Zeducation. And a lot of times we watch it like two or three times a, a, a week when the kids go to bed. It's just fun. It's it just is. A, it's just it's a good just laugh. Memes. I yeah. love memes. You know, it's good yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's just a good laugh. Yes. And uh, this weekend I'll be at the uh, Milwaukee Improv in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I think it's Brookfield, Wisconsin. Just outside of Milwaukee, but it's called the Milwaukee Improv. I've been there before. I was one of the first comedians to do that club, and now I'll be back. It's very exciting. I think one show is sold out already. Very exciting stuff. Uh, it's a huge club, 400 seats. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it's a huge club. That is huge. So I'm very excited about it. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's what I'll be doing this weekend. I'm going to L.A. later today. We're filming this on a on a Monday I don't know. It may not go out till Thursday. So I'll already be headed towards Milwaukee by the time this comes out. But as of recording it, I'm about to go to LA for a couple of days and uh, hopefully do some cool podcast and uh, maybe be on uh, the TV show After Midnight, the Taylor Tomlinson show. Uh, I don't know if it will air the day that I, that the, that I film it, but if not, this will be a promo for that, but I, it may air that day. So that's exciting. It's very exciting. Her show is, from what I can tell, is basically the old show at midnight, which was a very exciting show for me when I was just starting comedy in Charleston. And I always wanted to do that show, but then it ended. So it's exciting that, uh, that I, I, you know, I kind of get to do it. Bit of a different version, but, uh, you know, Taylor Tomlinson is my friend somewhat. And, um, uh, so it's exciting. Yeah, it is. You got, um, a, you got a big week ahead of you. Yeah. So that's cool. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening to this. Uh, I hope this made sense. I feel like this was a good podcast, but. Listen, anytime you talk about Gene Hackman, it's a good podcast. I think you're right. And uh, we had a little couple of interruptions from Daisy, but, uh, you know, people have emailed me that they like that. It's a real slice of life, they say, mm -hmm. for them. And uh, we do live, a, you know, a, a very uh, normal life with our kids. And uh, we're, we're always the caretakers of our kids because I don't 
I don't trust people out here. Yeah, we kids. don't have a nanny and we don't have a housekeeper. Yeah. I well, tr- we do. And her name's Hannah. Yeah. Yeah, we got one. <laughs> but I was going to wait till the podcast was over to remind you of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dusty. All right, Hannah. You've been doing a lot of, say that joke that you did to me the other day in the car. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Well, the the joke. We were parking in the g- gas station. I forget what the yeah, context well, you was. You were telling me something about what someone was saying to you. Yeah. And then, so, you know, I followed it up with a funny joke, but I think it really needs to be prefaced by <laughs> yeah, what you were saying sorry. to me. I don't know why I brought but it But Hannah up. was just basically saying that, you know, um, uh, you know, someone we had over was apologizing to her a lot. Oh, just- yeah. Oh, this is it. I remember my friend. She's my friend. She goes, she was commenting on our baby, Sam. She goes, isn't it so cute how he just smiles? And then he goes stone faced all the time, just like his mom. I'm like, wait, what? And then also <laughs> and my- I was kind of like, is she my friend or did she just tell me I'm like low key resting B-I-T-C-H face? But then there's also my sister was here. My sister was just apologizing a bit. You know, my sister never been here before. Oh, and, yeah. And by herself. And that that's just how it is. When you're in somebody's house, you never really been there before. You don't want to be in the way. You know, at least if you're a polite person, you don't want to be in the way or you don't want to be feeling like you're messing up things. So she was just apologizing a bit to Hannah. And I go, I go, Hannah, well, maybe. Maybe if you'd smile more. (laughs) And I just said it in such a serious tone. I just, you never say anything like that to me. And I was like, I can't even believe you just said that to me. Because it's a joke. But it's also true. Obviously, I wouldn't say that in a real way, but it's a joke. But it was so funny. We were at the gas station. I had just pulled up to a pump and we... We lost it out Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. We lost it. Women hate it when we're told to smile more. But honestly, when I did stand up, one of my best friends, and she was a girlfriend, she told me I should smile more on stage. And then I did. And I got like 75% better at stand up. Well, this is the thing. There are a lot of things that... Uh, that, that, you know, like say women hate, that that's easy to go, oh, you know, that's ridiculous. People are just, you know, saying... But it's like... If you really see people like saying, oh, you should smile more, you should smile more, even it's annoying to me. And I'm like, ah, why don't you just let them live their lives? You know what I mean? I do. All right. We got to go take care of the baby. I don't want to, I don't want to wrap up so fast as we're talking about men telling women. I could just hear our, our little girls calling mommy. But we're in the middle of a podcast going, oh, let's talk about telling women to smile. And then you're like, (laughs) let's wrap it up. And I'm like, no, don't put me in that position. Uh, All right. But Daisy's coming. Um, and, uh, you want to say hi to people on the podcast? Okay. Say, say, Hey, Des. Okay. (laughs) All right. Thank you very much. We're having a good time. (laughs) 